1: and inspiration architecture brings to our cities communities and lives hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of accurate tom de for our guest today please welcome charles koenig how are you charles hi tom i'm good glad to be here today oh that's wonderful thank you very much charles i understand you're a leader in the architecture profession in quality design where you champion and reinforce community goals and Thoughtful, at least in my opinion, thoughtful community growth, educational opportunities, the arts, and human welfare. For more information, our listeners are free to visit www.cunniffe.com. That's www.cunniffe.com. Charles, can you share with us some of your early inspirations in architecture, what you, if you can recall back as far as you can? What what kind of struck you, uh, if you can recall, to do what you do now? If you kind of look back at it,
2: well, I I was the oldest of eight children. My father was a, a builder and finished carpenter, so that had definitely an early influence on my life. Being eight kids, we all had to learn how to be self-supporting pretty early in life. So, I became pretty adept at doing a variety of things. <laughs> But it was all fun work was never hard it was always engaging and no matter what i tried to do i always kind of enjoyed the challenge of it early on i i really liked to draw and to make things especially with my father as a builder i had sort of access to tools and a lot of times we'd make things together i was always building models and tree houses and all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, it didn't matter what, almost everything interested me <laughs> early on. So
1: could you walk out of the house and find something that was interesting?
2: After that, I basically went on to college and went 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 to Rhode Island School of Design pretty much, but so spent most of the day outdoors. Playing. We, we lived in the country, so we had access to a great rural setting and just everything you can do as a kid outdoors with a lot of freedom.
1: Excellent. Now, I, I like how you said it, it It was engaging and not hard. Share with this kind of an experience of that. That's a very interesting connection, that it's engaging so it's not hard because you're doing, in essence, what you love to be doing.
2: Well, I think if you want to do something, it, it falls into place that you just have the energy and the passion to do it. It's not something somebody else is telling you to do. It's something you're choosing to do yourself. And I think along with that comes the, the requisite energy to to accomplish it and to enjoy yourself along the way
1: yeah so obviously you've been exposed to building construction that's not always the case you know obviously their parents that have professions or occupations and, and and their children don't go into it they go into a completely different field how would you were any of their other siblings involved in architecture and building or any facet of the uh, built environment
2: no actually not all of my brothers and sisters went on to college which is pretty amazing given that my parents were working class kind of, but we all had the same kind of support from our parents that we should go on and do what we can with our lives. And there was never anything that we that we would think to do that our parents would ever tell us we can't do. It was very, very, it was amazing, very supportive uh, for all of us. Um, I went on and tried a lot of things in the art world. I went to Rhode Island School of Design, partly thinking I would just be in an art surrounding and figure out whether or not I wanted to do architecture or not. So I majored in architecture and minored in sculpture and got to do pretty much everything an art college allows you to do. RISD is an amazing place. And uh, it was a hotbed of, of all kinds of art. And in, as a result, I uh, got to work with many different types of materials and had great artistic influences from the professors there.
1: Yeah, I like the different materials. A sculpture. was interesting uh, as sculpture is I was recently at a gallery and the... Um, proprietor had said uh, there was a number of paintings there and just a couple of sculptures and I asked I asked her what why I do so few and she said well this is someone we wanted to carry but I'm a painter as well and I actually don't have the courage to sculpt and I, I was blown away with like, courage what, what do you mean courage and she shared with me why how, and how the difference between painting and being a sculptor and how a sculptor needs to kind of be somewhat fearless would you feel the same way or uh, well, sure. It kind of strikes
2: me. I'm, it's kind of kind of the opposite. I'm much more comfortable with sculpture or physical form than I am with painting or trying to depict something that's three-dimensional in a two-dimensional way. I'm just much more comfortable in world. I and mean, then sculpture certainly is that.
1: Yeah, I can see the connection between architecture and what it is that you do and some of the projects you've done. What projects have you done or are you doing, if you're at liberty, to share with us recently?
2: Well, we have a broad variety of of work, uh, pretty much. We're known for our high-end luxury residential work, uh, especially with an emphasis on sustainability. But I also, at the same time, to balance it, do a lot of affordable housing a lot of public safety work, you know, fire stations, police stations, and mountain rescue buildings, things like that. We do a lot of mixed use. Really love to work with significant historic preservation projects. Just finishing up St. Mary's Catholic Church in 1890 building. We're working on the Uray County Courthouse, which is also from the 1890s, and the Wheeler Opera House we just finished recently dabble a little bit in airport. We're doing some work in Aspen and in Jackson Hole. But performance is something we, some of our firm members like to get involved with, too. We are currently working on a new building for Theater Aspen, basically a major theater project. And then the Telluride Town Park stage is something I'm particularly proud of because that's the, the, the lifeblood of Telluride is their t- town park and their festival stage is their key event so we got to do a brand new stage for them which is quite remarkable.
1: Oh, so you do do you um, handle the acoustics as well?
2: We usually work with acoustical specialties because that is a highly specific field. However, you know, working with acoustical engineers certainly teaches you an appreciation of the fundamentals. You get the physical form right so that they can then uh, fine tune it. Yeah. Beyond that,
1: I like how you, you do historical buildings and you have a love for, for, for that. Share with us you know, you, where you think you got that love and, and why you love it so much, the historical buildings.
2: Well, I don't know. I'm, I grew up in New England, so New England is, is part of the, the oldest history of America in the Boston area. Also, the first firm I worked for out of college was, was based in Boston, so we, we were definitely steeped in both historical and new construction projects. It's a wide range. The firm did a wide range of work as well. It was primarily an engineering firm, but we did a lot of things like schools and hospitals. And everything in Boston usually had a, an original building that things were growing out from. So you had the historical aspect of it, and you were trying to add some new construction with it, too. So you kind of have a, had a contemporary intervention or a modern intervention in a historical building. So that was kind of a nice counterpoint.
1: Yeah, I like the modern intervention in a historical building. So you're maintaining the integrity of it. How challenging is that? I mean, again, if, unless it goes back to you engaging, not hard.
2: Yeah. yeah, it could be it could be quite challenging because you 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 want to play up the and emphasize the historic nature of especially when it was, the building was very well done and well preserved. But you also don't want the new to compete with the old. But you also don't want them to look like they don't get along. You know, they they need to be very compatible.
1: Yeah, you know, I liked really much, uh, Charles, how you said you don't you, you want them to not compete with each other. Share that, you
2: know, the modern or contemporary, either redevelopment of the project or the addition to it, wants to, in a lot of ways, enhance and maybe even promote the special nature of the historic aspect of the facility, while at the same time accommodating the need. Was desired to do. An addition wouldn't have been added to a historic facility unless it was necessary for the growth of the function of the historic facility. But you want to you want to do that in a very caring way.
1: Yeah, and speaking of that caring, uh, the affordable housing. What how did you get involved with the affordable housing? Is it something people came to you, you came to them, both?
2: A little bit of both, but it just in the nature of we we're based in in the mountains in Colorado, we work internationally, but a lot of our work tends to be regional just because of where we are. So one of the challenges of the mountain resorts is the lack of affordable housing because you have resorts by nature tend to attract the very wealthy and the support systems are provided by the people who live and work there, and then they're challenged to maintain the ability to live and work in those places because of the desirability of the place, attracting people who can afford pretty much anything in those locations that problem is actually inherent in our cities now too it's not just in resort areas it's it's in it's worldwide but uh, well, I, I felt an obligation to balance the luxury we had to work with some some very phenomenal projects and also this, the same desire to give back to the community i felt you know once you have all your needs met you your next obligation is to give back and i, I think that's you know that's partly where it stemmed from plus it allows you to really be connected to your community and, and all, at all levels and feel like you really are a contributing member of society
1: yeah i'd like that your connected community is that something that you feel is kind of just in your dna so to speak or did your level of success and experience lend wanting to be a part of the community as well
2: good question i, I think it works both ways. I think they, they both are equal that it's in my DNA. I've always been a giving helpful kind of person and it just comes naturally. But also the sense of giving back is it's good karma. If you you know, if you're doing well, you need to share that. And if you're lucky enough to have a good career in a great place and you can help others have that same gift, I think it's your obligation to do it and it's also good karma. Uh, you know, it's, it's good for your own soul at the same time.
1: I love that. Okay, uh, this is a little deeper than I thought, but I like how you said it's good for your own soul. We're talking today with Charles Kunif, fellow AIA and principal of Charles Kunif Architects. For more information, feel free to visit com. That's www.kunif.com. Dot com. Charles, share with us. We, we, I know we earlier we talked about sculpture. Share with us your experience in it and how you feel it's relevant.
2: Well, sculpture, I think, is relative, re, relevant for architecture, and the architecture is the queen of the arts. It, it involves every other form of art. I think, in some way, almost every building in, incorporates all other art forms. Some buildings more than others, but I think every building is made up of the, all the parts that other artists work in, whether it's two-dimensional or three-dimensional ways. Architecture is basically is form, and form is sculpture. And then form is only seen with light, so you need to be able to incorporate lighting, daylighting, and night lighting to express the form. The form, then is shaped by the light and uh, other elements. If you design from the inside out to create an environment, the environment then becomes sculpture because the form is created from within. And it tends to be a three-dimensional place that becomes its own sculpture because of the way it was created. It has to have artistic and practical elements at the same time, just as a sculpture does, to stand up on its own. It has to be buildable, and ideally it should be sustainable and, and safe, and ultimately it has to be approvable too, I suppose,
1: if it's a building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose if it's a building, Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, whereas a sculpture really doesn't have, to, doesn't have that um, dynamic to it, really. Well, it may be in the, whoever's commissioning it.
2: Yeah, buildings are usually approved by others, whereas sculpture only has to be uh, approved by the heart of the artist.
1: Oh, I like that, by the heart of the artist. How, is, how important to you is lighting?
2: Oh, I, I think you should not only like what you do, I think you should love what you do. Yeah. And I, I think when you do, um, the results show, they just show up naturally. You need to have passion in your interests, and it's like you know, what would you do if you were free to do anything you wanted to?
1: Well, that's the kind of thing you should do. Oh yeah, Charles, you're a bit, quite a bit of a philosopher and a, and a seer. I want to touch back on something that we before we went to our break that we did is is um, uh, it's good karma. It's good, you know, it's it's just it's just, it's just good for you. How much do you? If, I notice a lot of your work. To me, I was trying to figure if I can get a simplistic feel for it. You know, some have you know, different range, ideas, and I go, you know what, there's a lot of soul in your work. Is that by design? I mean soul like in your heart. Yes. That's my interpretation. I could be yeah. wrong, but uh, I hope I didn't offend you. But uh, I, I noticed there's a real soul, a livingness to your work.
2: Yes, um, I try, and I would say this is true for The group I work with, my staff in my office, uh, shares a lot of these same interests and and beliefs. Designing needs to be authentic, needs to be nurturing, needs to enhance life. I mean, why do you build a place if it doesn't provide some benefit? And it should also provide meaning in soul. It should be better with it than the world was without it. Therefore, you, you, you have the passion to do it well because it's going to live there for a very long time. So I think that's part of that, that timelessness. You want the timelessness to also be sustainable, to, to be a 100-year project, not a 10-year project. And to, to that, in that soul kind of nature, you probably bring in some, I would to loosely use the word, zen, Zen-like qualities of, you know, of time and patience and restraint learn to leave things out. So you stick to the key elements to get to the essence of what it wants to be, which is also in aligned with sculpture. I mean, most sculpture is pretty much d- distilling de- things down to the necessary and not be overly elaborate. So, and things take time to evolve as much like sculpture does. I, mean, I don't think mo- many sculptors go out and just carve the first thing and that's it. It's usually trial and error and or, you know, uh, t- trial and, and failure. Failure is the, is the road to success, right?
1: I love that failure is the road to success. I, and that's the first I've heard. I mean, I know I've heard different variances of both, but this is the first time I've heard it the way you said that. Mm-hmm. How did you discover this? Is this, is this something that you kind of, if, if you can look back as, as far as when you were a teen, teenager or, or what? Is there, was there every, any galvanizing moment or period of time in your life where you, this, kind of, kind of, this kind of wisdom came to you?
2: No, I, I think it's probably tied to personal resiliency. Just basically you, know, you, you, you try your best. You, you don't always succeed. You just keep trying. But you choose to do it because you want to and you know it goes back to passion and, and belief in yourself that you just keep trying at something and and know and i think part of it is also training in the arts is that it, when you train in art in art history you realize the struggles that artists have had and then you just sort of accept that nothing comes easily or nothing worthwhile comes easily most of the time sometimes something just naturally flows and that's that's a that's a gift but most often it's anything worth doing is worth working at and uh, working at something doesn't mean it's going to come, come out easily or naturally the first time
1: yeah it touched back on the uh the sculpture there's a uh, quote that's i don't recall the, the verbatim what it states but it's by michelangelo and it says it's, it talks about the discovery it's in the it's in the uh it was in the marble, and I, the relevance is obviously it's a, it's a workout gym, so you kind of sculpt your body. But it's there, and it's pretty prevalent. And he talks about discovery. What's your feelings or thoughts on discovery?
2: Well, well I could I take that to how you, you do a project on a site, I suppose, to make it applicable to architecture. Because architecture usually has a locale specific to it, whereas sculpture could be something you can carry around with you if you want. I think that a house or a building is about its site, its context. And it should be inspired and even motivated by the site and the client and the program. It should grow out of that and not occur because of some preconceived ideas. Like, I want to put a box here or a ball there. It should be something. That is specific to that site. It uh, forms a sort of a, a transparent dialogue between architecture and the landscape, or architecture and the town, or or the location that it's at. Whether it's a beach or a mountain, it, it, there should be a dialogue between its site and how it functions on that site, and what program it's fulfilling. If it's a residence, for instance, you know, how do those people want to live in that location? And the house, which becomes the sculpture, is something you dwell within, and it needs to also interact with the surroundings that it exists in. Ideally, it becomes seamless. So there's no real edge to the house, and there's no real end to the landscape. It's just seamless. And over time, those should grow together to be such a natural fit that it couldn't have occurred in any
1: other way. Yeah, well stated Zen like qualities are, are the clients you work with do they have that attribute to them as well a certain Zenness to them most often I, I think you can get to that simply by
2: if it doesn't come naturally you can focus on ideas like budget you know you if you if you really have a, a constrained budget then a Zen like approach is probably the best way to approach it because you're leaving things out that aren't necessary stick to the essence of what's needed and therefore you're not wasting time money or energy on other things that don't really matter
1: yeah is that is that tied in with with sustainability for you it sounds like it's it's kind of a baited question but share how it ties into sustainability for you right sustainability
2: is also about resiliency it's about the ability for something to be long-lasting to be low-maintenance to be maybe low carbon footprint to have less impact than another way of doing something. But true sustainability has the least impact on the planet, but it also has the great use of daylight, great use of uh, materials, materials that are self-sufficient, durable. Obviously, you pick quality materials to be able to do that. One, one kind of great example of that is uh, very, very specific is that the shishugi-ban method, uh, the Japanese tradition of woodworking, where, they, where, they, where they, you intentionally char the wood. And by charring the wood, it becomes much more weatherproof and uh, long-lasting because you it's built its own own exterior to harden itself against the elements, and it 's beautiful at the same time,
1: yes, yeah, that sort of training in the arts did that just give you the breadth, understanding, or the desire to practice the way you practice because it sounds like it's it 's a mindset it 's a way of being it's just not a it's just not a practice like you know a job or a vocation it's it 's a kind of way of being if i 'm reaching tell me, but
2: no, not at all. In fact, it's it's so instilled that um it's it's a it's twenty four seven. Not as a burden, but just as a a life. Um, everything you see or do uh, is through the lens of uh, both artist and architect. So the world is much more enjoyable and much more engageable because you bring a variety of knowledge and experience and. Touch points to everything you interact with in life. So it, it's inevitable that it becomes what you live and breathe. It's even probably some of my most creative time is when I'm dreaming because during the day you have all these things you have to process <laughs> and you're bouncing around. So at night you're just, you're finally trying to fall asleep. And then all the things when you're letting go, this is probably more Zen like two or Buddhist, when you're letting go is when. The answers can come to you. Until then, your own thinking is getting in your in your own way. So it's 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 cool. It's really cool.
1: Oh, that's a, an understatement. In my, in my opinion, you know I, um, that letting go and it goes back to um, the balance of luxury and giving back to the community. Can you share some examples of uh, of that?
2: Sure. It, it it's all. I guess everything is integrated in a way. In order to have I'll use a, a resort, let's say an amusement park. An amusement park, people go to an amusement park because they can afford to and they go in there for to, for escape or for a ride or whatever. But the amusement park can't function if you don't have the workers at the amusement park making things work. And so you have the luxury of being able to go and enjoy yourself and just relax. But at the same time, you have to have all those people that are making that happen for you. And in fairness... Both of those things have to be accommodated. And if you want to have access to luxuries in life, you also have to support the provision of those luxuries by supporting the very people whose energy makes those things happen. So part of giving back is allowing all of that to happen. And in a great way is that that's what makes a community work. You have all all walks of life and all aspects within a healthy community. All of those things should be accommodated and accommodated in a good way. One of the beautiful things about living in a small town like Aspen or in Telluride is they, most people let their guard down when, when they're here, and they, they, they blend in, they want to blend in with the, the regular people, so to speak. And you don't see a lot of class separation, so you have a lot of people enjoying the same attributes of the natural environment that they're all here to, to, to enjoy and engage in. But some people are there to work. To support other people in order to be able to live here, and other people come here because they've made their living elsewhere. But they all have that in common—that we're, we're we have the same view and the same air, and enjoying the same activities. So, in terms of giving back to the community and providing affordability and all the resources a community needs to be fully functioning and healthy, um, I, th- I think I uh, think. As an architect, anyway, I think it's your responsibility to provide as much of that as you can, to be engaged in as much of that as you can. And what you get back, not just the good karma, but you get back the experience of having a multitude of things and interests that you get to enjoy without being isolated, without being like in an ivory tower or just doing one thing and hoping somebody else might like it. It's it's really part of the community. It's an intrinsic part of the community, not a separate activity. There's a great phrase, if I can remember this, wrong, that I think it was John Muir, and it kind of goes to this about how, everything, how everything's connected. When one tugs at a single thing in nature, he finds that it is attached to the rest of the world. So, you know, everything in the universe is linked together with everything else in the universe. So, if you think that way, then there's no reason not to be part of everything as much as you can
1: excellent well said well stated thank you very much this is the modern architect on kzsu stanford 90.1 fm we're talking today with charles kune fellow aia and principal of charles kune architects for more information you can visit www.cuniffe.com. charles can you share with us the culture that you have in your firm and practice? Because a lot of your life definitely sounds like a lot of your life and, and uh, mental philosophy and the way you, of being is, I would think it would be reflective in the culture that you have within your, your practice, your office, and your people.
2: Yeah, certainly. I'd be happy to. I'm very proud of the culture we have and the people that are engaged in, in our culture a wonderful group of people. It's basically family, as I said earlier, I'm the oldest of eight children in a large family and lots of cousins, and, and I kind of live my life that way and treat my office that way. It's basically an extension of, of my family. We try to create a culture that, that is of collaboration, the studio environment. It's non-competitive where we're not, you know, one person's not trying to be better than the other. We're trying to all do well together as a family. We embrace all ideas from everyone and try to support as much of a work-life balance as possible so that people have their outside activities as seamlessly as they need to with their family, their hobbies, all of that. want it to be a nurturing environment. Even recent graduates can learn and grow. They can grow their careers. It's It's not necessarily an end point. It's a be a beginning point it's been called kind of university before more than once a lot of people come through and move on and we support that certainly that's that's the right way to be in seasoned architects are still constantly challenged by the cutting edge design work that we're doing i'd like to think that's pretty unique but hopefully a lot of other firms practice the same way because i i believe it's a very healthy and holistic way to go particularly when you when you live and work in some remarkable places on the planet
1: yeah, how has that culture also helped with, with your existing clients and that it's, it's not too different in working with you or if they have to interface with anyone else in the office? Is that, do, they, do they express to you that feeling?
2: No, I, I, I love being in touch with all of my clients all of the time, but it's also a real joy to, to, to see them uh, gravitate towards or connect with one of the other people in the firm because it's just really great to see that they may have something in common or they click in some way that it's really great to see and I totally encourage it. I'm not jealous of it or protective or territorial. I it, it really want everyone to get as engaged as they possibly can, not just the staff, but the clients and the consultants and the builders and the construction industry, our vendors. It, it's, it's great because it's a very embracing environment. We have um, open houses throughout the year. We have a really great Christmas party, and everyone in town is invited. It's not industry specific; it's it's for everybody.
1: You, it's, you know, it's just saying, yeah. Oh, everyone is invited. The whole community. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Charles, that's remarkable. I did that
2: historically. Yeah, many, many years ago town's gone a little too big. I used to have Fourth of July parties where my home is. You can see the fireworks over town really fantastic. And I always just had an open party. Sometimes it'd be four hundred people, you know, sometimes sixty, sometimes four hundred. It was it didn't matter. It was however if if they knew about the party they were invited. It was that kind of sensibility.
1: Oh, that's terrific. I like, I, you know, there's so many things that you're discussing and talking about, Charles, that I really, really like. And it's hard to say which one is even a favorite because they keep growing. But I'd like to go back to you, uh, building what it wants to be. Just allow it to be what it wants to be. Can you share with us your expression of that or what it means to you? Yeah, I, I
2: think in almost anything, there's a there's a seed that's there, an original seed that's there that, just has to be nurtured watered so to speak if you can discover what it is or at least not get in its way it will grow into what it wants to be probably like raising children you can you can help them you can be there you can protect them make them safe but you still ultimately have to let them be what they want to be and i think the same is true for for architecture, certainly true of sculpture. Like, like you said, the Michelangelo statement about, you know, the, it is the, he has to search for what it wants to be in the marble. Well, I think a, a house or a building is a lot of the same. It's certainly imposed upon the program of what the client or the municipality is is funding that project to fulfill from a programmatic need. But beyond that, the site and the location, the context of the town, the people who are going to use it, the occupants, all have an influence on it. That helps germinate it to become what it wants to be. But if you don't get in its way too much, a lot of natural things will sprout and it will grow into the better a better project because you're not trying to put preconceived notions on top of that. And you let it you let it become what it wants to be.
1: Excellent, excellent description, thank you. With architecture constantly evolving, the expectations evolve as well. What's changed in your experience over the last, say, three, five years?
2: Mm, Good question. Uh, Do you mean in architecture or in construction or?
1: Actually, yeah, both of them in your experience,
2: both. Even sculpture. Okay. Well, one of the things, obviously, everyone has been affected by, no matter where you are on the planet, I think it's communication through the Internet and cell phones and hands-free everything. There are so many ways to communicate that we almost have to determine which one is going to be the best one for that particular instance. For instance, with clients, we probably have to figure out how do they like to work best? What's going to be the most interactive way to communicate with them? Is it phone? Is it email? Skype? Is it go to meeting? Is it live meetings? Do you have to go to see them all the time? And there are clients where that's the only way they, they can work. But there are others where we would meet them kind of when they're occupying the house and not before then. So there's all ranges of that. We, we aim to communicate in the best way that we can for each situation. Municipalities tend to, or organizations because they're usually board-driven or committee-driven, there has to be a lot of face-to-face time with them and their representatives. So inevitably, those become much more time-consuming, and uh, you, you know, basically they have to be live meetings. But for the private clients, because they're pretty much busy, they usually are tech-savvy, and they're global. They can be anywhere, and we can have just as an effective a meeting as we would if they were sitting across of us in our conference
1: room. Yeah, the communication. How about the communication and design? How much is communication in your practice, profession, and experience, and how much of it is design? If you've ever even quantified a percentage, even if it's a mental quantification.
2: Yeah, an interesting question. It's it's a a bit of both. It's, it's a lot of both. Um, there's today. I think there's a greater expectation of more communication than there used to be because communication is so seamless and easy anymore i mean we're having a great meeting right now and we're a thousand miles apart the uh, th- that's true of you know most clients uh, understanding too that they don't have to be there in the past we had multiple offices around the mountains because people expected that nothing could happen unless you were physically there i'm a pilot i I ended up you know, buying a plane and becoming a pilot because my offices were strewn across the Rocky Mountain West. And I would be sometimes two different places in the same day, maybe three, in a week before, at four different offices. It was fun for the longest time. but And I had three different cell phones because you, the cell services weren't transferable from state to state. But now it's so seamless that we've been able to consolidate more. We've been able to do more design work and less communication, so to speak, because we're not on the road having to be places that we don't really have to be, because where we have to be is in the mode of design for the benefit of our clients and for the benefit of the, the users of, of those projects.
1: Yeah. What, what What do you foresee within the next, say, five years, since we'll stay on the years of the years, uh, Theme in in architecture and design. What what are you seeing coming up, or that you're practicing that the industry itself may be doing, and it may become mainstream. It's kind of a little bit of a convoluted question. How do you foresee the future, say, in the next three or three or five years in architecture? Well,
2: there's there's two there's two directions sort of simultaneously. One is greater and greater freedom of design and communication through technology. And the emphasis on three D, three D sampling of, of things, and, and I think even in the future, be three D sampling in, in terms of textures and smells and colors. I mean, you can you don't have to physically be there, and the, certainly the movie industry has taken us there. Um, so the freedom to of expression, as long as you understand the technology and have the tech support for it, is pretty unlimited and is rapidly occurring. But on the, at the very same time, hindering all of that, the, the, the faster we grow in terms of freedom of design and expression is the regulatory side that's also keeping up pace and, unfortunately, putting constraints, artificial constraints on designers and builders, architects, uh, the creative Class for, uh, because of litigate because of litigation and and regulation. It used to be so easy to design a house, for instance, or a small building, and um, do it in 10, 20 pages, maybe thirty if it was a little complicated. Now it's hundreds of pages and and you know really thick sets of specifications, and builders don't feel any sense of freedom to work with you in a creative way because they want everything to be laid out for them in case they get sued. And every community we work with is so um, restrictive that they want more and more and more documentation before you can even break ground on a project. We used to really enjoy an interactive process with builders that we would actually kind of still keep designing as we went because there was that freedom and that expectation as, as the building took shape you could you could alter things pretty freely and you know refine I call it refining rather than altering, but refining as you went. Now if it's not drawn and approved by every agency in a community, you can't even break ground on it. So it forces all of the decisions to be made prematurely I think to the experience of the creation of the building what's
1: your opinion Uh, it's unfortunate yeah no no that's it is unfortunate but here's a potential solution at least in my mind and my experiences what if you had an architect or uh, in a position of influence within a city as a uh, so-called let's take for example if charles you were the mayor of aspen Okay, and that's not putting the mayor down. You may know them. But I'm just making a simplistic comparison. If you were a mayor of a city, let's just say any city, if Charles was the mayor of any city, uh, would you put in place um, the. Those regulations or those requirements would they be different than they are now? Let's put it that way. If you had the authority to do so and actually the responsibility to do so, would they be more streamlined and more effective and more cost effective for the in community?
2: Well, I'd like to think so, but I think just the way of the world is um, is litigious and fearful that if you don't. Uh, dot all your I's across you all your T's that somebody's going to take advantage of that and um, I know our building departments and most of the communities we work with are a bit fearful of, of themselves being accused of overlooking something or not being responsible for a design error or a construction error or an oversight a drainage problem whatever it is I, I don't think a mayor would, would be able to do it or maybe even have the courage to get in the way of the uh, the legal world that is there to, I don't know, put uh, shackles on everybody.
1: Yeah. Interesting you use the word courage. Uh, how would you express courage? And how important do you feel courage is in, is in your practice?
2: At some level, you have to have courage to open the door in the morning. You know, you've, you've got to. <laughs> you, you don't know what the world's going to do every day, and especially in these days. But um, you, you need to have courage to take a chance. And That's what I think art is. Art is courageous. Uh, if you don't, if you don't put your paintbrush in the paint and then put it on canvas, you anything. But it takes some courage to take the risk that you don't like what you just did. But that's part of that's part of the act of creation is you're taking chances, taking chances takes courage. It's, I think it's just part of a, 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 any creative person's world is to have a modicum of courage in order to achieve uh, anything worthwhile.
1: Yeah, that's ex- excellent response. This is the Modern Architect KZSU ninety point one FM. We're talking today. With Charles Kunif, fellow AIA and principal of Charles Kunith Architects. For more information, you're welcome to visit www.kunith.com That's www.c-u-n-n-i-f-f-e dot com. Charles, on that... Uh, that was a really strong, <laughs> strong response. Uh, I, I like, if you can, if you can touch on, you know, there's so many aspects of what, what you've shared that what are the real joys for you in architecture and your community? Uh, and
2: uh, engaging with people is sort of the, the lifeblood of everything. Engaging with people, seeing their response, either positive or negative, it gives you guidance and, and gives you a sense of your interaction. You want to be part of the world. Um, You know, in architecture, competency is one thing. Um, You know, there are many, many competent people in every walk of life. But in talking about courage, I I think you you, you need to be courageous enough to, to to be innovative, to try something bigger than yourself, to try something bigger than the problem at hand, to, to take, a, take a risk and put yourself out there and not just sort of hide in the shadows and just do what you can get away with or just do what's safe. That is so easy, and unfortunately, so many people do that, live their lives that way. Uh, the, um, if you're going to be part of the creative world, if you're going to have a positive influence on humanity and on your community you have to have the courage to, to put your foot in the door and push it open and hope that you can make a difference by something you either have to say or show um, you've got to put your energy out there that's part of giving back as I said earlier when you when you, uh, when you have your basic needs met then the rest of your energy should go towards helping others uh, I think that's just an intrinsic part of a good life
1: yeah. And again, is this something that you've evolved to um, be at peace with, so to speak, or it's it's always evolving, that, that expression of your own courage of overcoming, you know, what your own limitations or what you're aware of are?
2: Yeah, it, it is always evolving. Hopefully it always um, strengthens itself, you know, as you Take more chances. The your ability to take more chances grows, and your courage to take more chances grows. Your um, faith in yourself occurs. But you know, I've been practicing for forty five years, and um, it, uh, it it takes it took a long time to, to come into any kind of stride. Um, I I don't think I really trusted myself for the longest time in the earlier phases of my career. Fortunately, I had men, mentors. And other other people who did trust me, and they gave me the the push to to, to take that chance and to you know take that step forward. Um, it certainly didn't come about on my own. It was because of great great family and great mentors early in life, and great um, p- partners and staff uh, throughout my career. It, it's all been um, a, a mutual effort. It hasn't certainly been me. It's been, you know, what I think about my staff is that um, because we have a relatively small office that I believe every staff member plays a critical role in the success of a firm. But I try to lead when the staff needs leadership. But beyond that, I just want to facilitate them when they don't need me to lead. I want them to help lead me. I want them to help lead the firm and I want them to help lead our clients to have better results than they would have had if they didn't engage our firm. So it goes far beyond me. It's it's my staff, it's my family, but it's also the community around us. And I feel really blessed to be working in the environment that we work in because it has, a, has an attitude that good design is very important. Um, despite all the regulations and everything else there's still a, a sense that uh, what we do is meaningful and even necessary to nurture life
1: Excellent Charles, are, are there uh, anything anything we may not have touched on in our, our uh, your show today um, it's been terrific but uh, please share with us anything that we may not have touched on that you feel is really important and you'd like our listeners to, uh, to be aware of
2: um, Good question um, I uh, can't think of anything offhand other than you know I, I want to step back to the the, 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 the basic ar- uh, architectural uh, approach as architect as sculpture and architecture also as community that's all uh, I think very very important and, and what it's what drives me and what gives me the the courage to to get up in the morning and, and try again there was one great quote. Um, I think I remember because I, I say it so often, but it's um, a Goethe, and it was, uh, I, think, well, I think, whatever you can do or dream you can, begin, b- begin it, because, because boldness has genius, power, and magic in it, and I believe if you do take that step, then the whole universe comes to your aid
1: outstanding Charles you are dialed oh my gosh it's that's why I as I told you I see in so much of the your work and projects you have there's soul in each everything you do and it's so reflective of of you it's definitely a mirror uh, of your own soul and I congratulate you on that and uh, it, it's only going to get better you're you're hitting your stride I know you said you've been in oh you've been in 45 years but you're just hitting your stride um Charles, it's been an honor and pleasure having you on as a guest today. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Tom. I very much enjoyed speaking with you.
1: Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom DiOro. Our guest today has been Charles Kunif, fellow AIA and principal of Charles Kunif Architects in Aspen, Colorado. Charles is a leader in the architectural profession in quality design, Championing and Reinforcing Community Goals of Thoughtful Community Growth, Educational Opportunities, the Arts, and Human Welfare. For more information, feel free to visit www.cunife.com. That's www.cu-n-n-i-f-f-e.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and communities. And lives. The Modern Architect is recording at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location throughout California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Stephen Blanton, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Jaggi. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Edu. I'm Tom Duro. Thank you.